Welcome to the Purpose and Principles Podcast. I'm Max Brown. My guest today is Jeff DeGraff. He's both an advisor to Fortune 500 companies and a professor at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. And he simultaneously is creative and pragmatic approach to making innovation happen has led his clients and colleagues to dub him the Dean of Innovation. Uh, Jeff, I'm just delighted that you're here. We're talking today, of course, about the creative mindset and about your work in, in creativity, innovation. And boy, if we've ever needed it, we need it now. Thanks for having me on, Max. I am really, really excited. But why this message, why now, I think is a big question for me. Why is this so imperative that we learn this today? Well, whenever you're in a crisis, creativity isn't your best friend. It's your only friend, right? And, and something has happened. You know, I'm, I'm the last graduate student of the founder of this field, Rudolf Arnheim. Mm. So we create, the whole creativity field was found actually at the University of Berlin by a guy named Max Bertheimer. Mm. He has two great students, Kurt Lewin, who founds what we would call organizational psychology, and Rudolf Arnheim. And I'm Arnheim's last guy. So when I started in this field, um, I started as a, re, you know, a, a PhD researcher, what are called cognitive inquiry strategies, right? And um, in the past 30 some years, I've been, you know, I was 25 when I got my doctorate. Um, I, wow. You know, I'm, I'm old guy now. Um, I've been in half the Fortune 500 companies. I've done a lot of things. And what happens is there's a lot of work on creativity in two ways. One is very inspirational work, which I like, but it's kind of, um, it's more kind of new agey kind of stuff. It's not really block and tackle stuff. And then the, then the other side is kind of this um, real hardcore, make a billion dollar stuff. And I thought, you know, I'm from a HUD house. I grew up, I grew up in a working class neighborhood. I came to college as a teamster. Um, I wanted to write a book for the democratization of innovation. Mm. I wanted to write a book for the person who's trying to do a side hustle, for the person who's trying to take a recipe into a restaurant, the person who's got a, something going on in the garage, the way I grew up. And what I wanted to do was take all this research and all this experience, and I wanted to simplify it. I wanted to use ordinary, everyday person language. And I coined a term, term for this called creativizing, mm. because the people I grew up with didn't have a lot of money. And what I know is they take the ordinary and turn it into the extraordinary simply by thinking about things differently. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm terribly concerned mm -hmm. because the America I grew up in had a sense of destiny. We're going to the moon. We're licking the commies. We're going to build the net. Ugh. You know, I grew up that way. I, I'm, I want us to be going somewhere. I want everybody, I, you know, I'm sort of Walt Whitman. I hear America singing, you know. I want us to be... I want us to, to, to democratize innovation and creativity uh, in a way that everybody believes they have a sense of purpose. You know, I love that. And can you, can you give me an example or two of folks that you feel like are doing this well or that you can give us some examples, you know, that it doesn't require the, the billion dollars, like you said, to be able to find these pockets of great and beautiful creativity everywhere. I want to, I want to tell you one of my favorite things. The city of Detroit, as you well know, mm -hmm has had hard times for about the past 50 years. Now there's a part that's not, but they have an ingenious mayor. And when COVID hit, one of the things that became very clear was uh, social inequities and social injustice. Obviously the amount of people who pass away who are in the underserved community is uh, inexcusable in a country like ours. And the second part was as everybody went to online, it became obvious that there was a whole section of our population that did not have the resources or the wherewithal to be online, mm -hmm. right? Which again is, is unfair. So what they did in the Detroit area 
is they put, they took all of their bus drivers and they sent them to Google training. You know, that online thing that you can do for a week or so. And then they put routers on all the buses, like 120 buses. And they drove them to neighborhoods and parked outside of, you know, projects and apartment complexes and whatever. And these kids are on, you know, they're online. And so these are the kind of things that I grew up with. You know, you don't have money for a Halloween costume. So there's a bucket and let's turn it into a knight's, you know, helmet. And that the, the duster becomes a, a, you know, a feather becomes a plume and so on and so forth. So that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing the lack of resources are, are really driving people to creative solutions. I'm also seeing that people who should be driven to creative solutions aren't. Think about how many universities are trying to do hybrid things and how it's not working at all. And then think about how many hotel rooms are empty in your town. Think about what if you went to pods? What if your small private colleges hooked up with 10 other small private colleges and kind of threw a little something into the stone soup? There were a million ways to solve this problem. And what we had was kind of the old doctrinaire, you know, the empire strikes back stuff. Mm-hmm. So to me, you know, I'm obviously I'm in favor of uh, the empowerment that uh, create creative thinking brings. Well, it's a, it's a big deal. We need to have more of it. As you said, how do we inspire people to be able to do this? And, and perhaps where does it begin? I know you have a, a you know, the skill sets that are required in the creative mindset. Uh, what does that look like? Well, I, I would say two things. Uh, first of all, the book lays out that there's a mindset you should have. Mm-hmm. And this is what I've learned. So it's, the mindset is taking a lot of researchy stuff, distilling it into kind of pithy phrases that you can remember. Mm-hmm. And the six skills are simply saying they're not steps. You have to be able to do some of the skills. You don't have to do all of them. Okay. But, but, you know, here are some things that think of it like a hammer, a wrench, a tool, you know, a screwdriver and a toolkit, right? You, you need all of them, but they're not interchangeable. So what I'm trying to do with that part is to say, you know, some of these are going to stick with you because you have a natural ability for them mm-hmm. and you should be better at them. And some of them aren't. So don't worry about trying to be good at something you're not good at. That's I'm, I'm a big believer that we're all given a gift mm-hmm. or a, maybe a couple, two or three, if you're lucky, mm-hmm. you know, me in my case, half, you know, I'm, you know, <laughs> so I had to work harder. Mm-hmm. But the notion is what you really want to do is build out your gift. You want to figure out whether you're left-handed or right-handed. So when, when people, when you say, what do you do to do that? First thing, I'll tell you this, when young people come to me and say, Professor DeGraff, you know, I want to talk to you about what I want to do. My first answer is, I don't care what you want to do. I'm not interested in that. And you can just see they get crestfallen. And then I'll say, but I'm terribly interested in what you're designed to do. Mm. Tell me about your talents. Tell me about your experience. Tell me about your education. What are you designed to do? Let's find a place where you belong. Think of it like a baseball game or an orchestra. What instrument do you play? Where do you play on this field? So instead of me just putting you, you know, you see this all the time, American Idol, you know, uh, uh, tryouts where somebody caterwauls like a, you know, like a, 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 you know, a cat in the alley. And nobody loved that person enough to say, that's really not what you do. There's something else you probably do really well. Let's help you with that. And the second thing is, you know, Max, I am the product of, being apprenticed. I was incredibly lucky in my life. And, and I was pretty aggressive about getting apprenticed, if you will. 
So we have some mutual friends, Bob Quinn and Kim Cameron, for sure apprenticed me. You could see their fingerprints all over my work, right? And I try and credit them with just about everything. You know, if this, and Bob told me this, and Kim said that. Rudolf Arnheim, uh, C.K. Prawlot. I I just got lucky. Tom Monahan, you know, I learned about business not by going to business school. I learned about business by building the fastest growing company in the United States of the 1980s. And so in five years and several billion dollars, last thing I did was sell the company to Mitt Romney and Bain Capital, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so see one, do one, teach one. There is no instant skill. If you believe there is, take out a piece of paper and draw a picture of your dog and everybody can look, tell when you stop learning to draw. Speak a foreign language, play an instrument. It doesn't matter whether you're eight or 80, you're going through the failure cycle. So find, if you really want to learn to do this, find somebody who's doing it the way you think it should be done in a magnificent way and apprentice yourself to them. Chop wood and carry water, right? Be, it's, it's, that's why I built the Innovatrium in the first place. This makes no sense to spend this kind of money. Mm. Why do I put young people in here? Because they're on the path. Mm-hmm. And I only, I'm very snotty about it. I only pick people that I know are on the path. And then you start them out, just like you would in an old Renaissance guild. We're going to stretch canvases and mix paint. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to introduce you to the trade. Then I'm going to watch you. I'm going to put you in. I'm not going to throw you in the deep end. I'm going to watch you. And I'm going to help you. Hold your brush like this. Hold your bat higher, whatever the metaphor is. And then after a few years, and I'm sure you could see this around the, the world, I, so many of my former students run labs and you know, are professors, and they're doing great. My thing is your time to teach. Mm-hmm. Now this is you. It's, you know, you're, you carry the torch now. Mm-hmm. So what does it look like? What does it look like to know that one of these students actually fits what you're looking for? So for those who are listening and saying, gosh, I feel like I'm creative, describe for us what it takes uh, to, to I think it's a, be accepted. it's a few things. The very first thing I look for is what's called self-authorizing behavior. Um, I've got a student right now who's amazing. I, all, I have the best GSAs, graduate student advisors, always. I am the, I am, and I'm not good at picking. What I'm good at is this person seems to be exhibiting self-authorizing behavior, meaning they seem to, they seem to be do on their own path, mm-hmm. right? That's the first thing. Two, the second thing is I'm looking for somebody who has done a lot of things right, but one thing isn't working. Mm. They've gone to the mat over something that they truly believed in. They were willing to get the you know, the low pass or the C on something. And I've had a lot of them, you know, because they, they believe that the system was wrong. So that, that shows me ownership. Mm. You are, you're really doing. And the third is, I, it's going to sound silly. I look for somebody who's got an outside passion about something that is, that's, that's greater, that makes them greater than themselves. Mm. So the one right now I have, it's all about um, the earth. You know, it's all about we're ruining the environment and we are And I'm like, okay, you know, the last one was about dogs and the treatment of animals. The person before that was about uh, underserved communities in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the part of Mississippi where she lives. So, so, the, so the notion is I'm looking for that, you know, do you do something other than go home and binge watch? And, uh, you know, th- and I think that shows a quality of mind. I don't, what I don't look at is where'd you go to school? Mm-hmm. I don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, you got here somehow, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. other things I don't care about your political affiliation. Mm-hmm. I don't care mm-hmm. part of the world you're from. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm a big believer, and you know from my work, in the power of diversity because you don't create the creative power of constructive conflict and you should have diversity, all forms, cognitive, belief systems. It, you know, the people who like you on Facebook aren't very helpful. Yeah. You know, you never hear the loyal opposition. The loyal opposition helps you get to the next place. You know, it's and, and you're right. I just believe that if the loyal opposition is helpful – then, then it's helpful. When it when it becomes snarky and mean spirited, and you know, like the hate filled Facebook warriors that we see sometimes, um, I think it denigrates itself. And so, for me, one of the things I'm thinking you're encouraging is there's this healthy place where conflict and different opinions can reside, and it can still mean that I still mutually respect the other person despite the difference of opinion. Absolutely, and this is. The death of creativity is not conflict. It's apathy. Yeah. It's over-alignment. Yeah. So I'm talking about respectful. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so with you on this. Yeah. We respect other people. Yeah. So for me, you know, what are some of the things you're seeing in terms of companies and the biggest struggles they have with creativity or the, the common challenges you see? And where do you get them to start? Where do you get them yeah. to start? <clears throat> I think, um, let me tell you what I think the challenge is. If you look at any organization like it's a pyramid, the mm -hmm. old pyramid, at the top of the organization, you're going to find innovation because capitalism requires capitalists. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is they're trying to raise the share price. And whether the CEO should be paid what they're paid, that's a different issue. Mm -hmm. right? I, I, we, we, we could all have a long discussion about that. But, but basically, they're paid through options and they're paid to, to raise the share price for the people who invest in the company. Mm -hmm. right? So we're going to see creativity there. The bottom of the organization, we're going to see creativity because usually people are under-resourced and they have to figure out how to do what they need to do. Mm -hmm. and, and believe it or not, that actually kind of works. So they're highly imaginative. So if you go look at uh, a franchise restaurant right now, they're super imaginative, mm -hmm. right? What they're doing. You look at, you know, how, you know, why is it that the small mom and pop grocery stores are killing it right now? Mm -hmm. And sort of the larger ones are sort of struggling. And we, we, we can talk about the numbers. Like the middle of any organization is designed to maintain. So there's, there's, uh, there's deviate and maintain. Deviate at the top and at the bottom and maintain in the middle. Where this gets kind of dicey is when the organization tries to innovate in a way where it creates a higher level bureaucracy to oversee a lower level bureaucracy for innovation. I see this all the time. So I've got a stage gating system, which is designed not to create radical innovation, but to, to sort of mitigate risk. So I build something, I build a portfolio system over it. And what you get is incremental and incremental, right? And that doesn't work. Um, I actually like McChrystal's idea, which, you know, he was the general in the Middle East, of teams of teams. Um, I'm a big believer that you send your teams to the edges of the bell curve where there's a crisis or something's exceptional. And the crisis people are there to actually try something radical because there's nothing to lose. I call this the 20-80 rule. Forget the 80-20 rule. It's, it's far easier to change 20% of an organization 80% than it is to change 80% of an organization 20%. Mm -hmm. You simply have to move to the part that's got a crisis because it's naturally got no other choice. Mm -hmm. Necessity, it turns out, is in fact the mother of invention, mm -hmm. right? It really is. <clears throat> and boy, don't we know it now, the dumpster fire we're calling 2020, right? This is, this is, this is, as we say up north here, it's time to pull the goalie, right? <laughs> it's time to pull the goalie. <laughs> it's, uh, it's power play on our end here, guys. Um, yeah, um, you know, 
you know, <laughs> leave the stick of the glove back here. Seriously, right? we got it. We need to change. <laughs> so, so, um, so that, so that to me, to me, that's what I'm seeing the mistake. And it's the same mistake I saw in 08. I was advisor to Federal Reserve for a number of years, still am. But, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things I saw when 08 happened is there were two responses of companies. The first response was to see if they could downsize their way to the future, mm-hmm. to get in the pill bug maneuver. Yeah. And those companies didn't last, right? They got their second recession and look at how many of them got popped, yeah. right? Um, banks, you know, how many banks are not going to pass the stress test? You know, that it, it's, it's sad. I don't like it, but that was their, their strategy was defense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then look at all the companies that actually sort of attacked, mm-hmm. that doubled down, that said you buy when, you know, look at tech stocks right now. Why are tech stocks so high? Because you, the way you make money is you buy low and you sell high. Mm-hmm. So you gobble up sort of all of the promising stuff at the next level because the VCs don't want to hang on to it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, it's a, it's a buyer's market. Now that'll pop eventually, and you know that's a different discussion. We that's a business school discussion we could have. But the large companies that I look at for most for the most part are, you know, they're simply they're simply um, waiting for everything to return the way it was before. And I think the smaller companies that are going to make it are far more imaginable. I think I think many now are starting to realize that it this is not going back to be the way it was before. That there's something new to be created in the in the future, and I think that that's very interesting for me. You know, I, I also hear a lot of companies that say, "Well, we just need the big breakthrough," but they ignore the little things that would probably help them to enable breakthroughs to occur because Amen. people don't feel safe. They just don't feel safe to contribute. They feel like they're being pressed just to Amen. maintain the status quo. Whatever, whatever we say here, you know, huzzah or whatever yeah. we say. Um, I think the greatest movie ever made on innovation is Moneyball. Mm-hmm. You should all go rent Moneyball and watch it. Even if you hate baseball, watch it. Mm-hmm. Because it's about trying things. Mm-hmm. And it's about, people forget the beginning of the movie is they're the, they're the, they have the most losses of any team in the major leagues that's at the right. beginning. And any innovator will tell you that's true. And any they, could, and they can't compete with money. That's the, that was the key, right? They, 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 they didn't have the money to fight with the big guys, <clears throat> so they had to figure something else out. That's right. That's why smaller companies, <clears throat> small caps, are always faster growing and more volatile. <clears throat> they can't compete on scope or scale. <clears throat> they have to compete on ingenuity, innovation, creativity. That's all you got, <clears throat> right? And, and if, to me, that's very exciting. There's no net, <clears throat> right? And so the Moneyball movie, what's exciting about the movie is how they lose and lose and lose and they just put all the pressure on this guy. That's my life. You know, when's it going to turn? When are we going to have this? And it's all those small shots. So people right now think, you know, there's going to be one shot and it's going to be over and where the sunshine's going to come out. First of all, half the people aren't going to get the shot, yeah. you know, and then you got to figure out it's one thing to design something. How are you going to get 14 billion doses of this? Are there even enough needles in the world to do this? And so on and so forth. Yeah. And it'll be shot. And it, so it's not going to just end. It's going to be, there's going to be a million variations. And with each variation, there'll be a whole new level of innovations introduced because it will open up opportunities for other people to be doing stuff. And all, and that now vacations, who knew the RV industry was coming back? You know, who knew? Now you can't buy an RV, right? Because we're all going back to the wilderness. And all of a sudden in the state that I belong to, the park system, which we have more parks per uh, per acre in any state, all of a sudden we're going to put real money into our parks now. I'm like, yeah, because that's where we're going now. 
So, and oh, by the way, being on a cruise line, probably not a real good industry to be in right now. <laughs> so, you know, that, that's, but that's the winds of fortune. That stuff, that's the part about creativity that I think also self-help literature doesn't help with. Self-help literature says you're the center of the universe and you have agency over everything. No, you're a fully, you're one person, but fully one. Mm -hmm. You operate in an environment with other people, Mm -hmm. some who share your mindset and some who do not, Mm -hmm. right? But there is a world around you that, uh, you know, that's outrageous fortune, both good and bad. I think we take credit for successes we've had that really we didn't earn. We're just kind of forest gumping it, you know? And I think that there are things that happen to us that are, you know, that are unavoidable. All, all our creativity can do is to anticipate and respond to that in a more imaginative way to make our lives and the people who care about better. That's the whole point of democratizing this. So, so where do we begin? What would you say to those listeners, those leaders out there that say, okay, you have my attention. I've got to do something about this, but I can't afford to have you come in. Yeah, two things. Well, one, first of all, I wrote the book and there is a, if you go to my website, jeffdegraff.com, I made 15 videos to go with everything. I made a downloadable workbook. I made a syllabus Mm -hmm. for college instructors. I gave, I made uh, PDFs of all the slides. So what I did is I'm giving it away basically. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, look, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. If you want to do this at your church, your family, here, let, and the videos are, let's do one together. So let me show you how this is done. Mm-hmm. So those of you who are readers read, you know, and that's, of course, we want, books are great too, but I did it as a paperback book this time because I thought I wanted to make things more affordable, going back to Robert Fair to Graf. So I'm trying to give stuff away to make things easier for people. The first thing I would do is I would adopt a more creative mindset. Let me give you three things right at the top you can do with it. Number one, know when you're creative. It's not creativity on demand. It's when you're creative. Are you a morning person, Max? Or an evening person? Yeah, I'm a morning person too. I roll out of bed at five. I work hard till about nine. Then I, you know, I may take a nap or something or have a, you know, have something to eat or something. And then, but you know, my wife's an evening person. So one, create when you're supposed to create. And I'm a hypocrite because I'm on, I'm a 2 million mile guy in Delta on Delta Airlines. I always say to myself, I'm going to write on the plane. And you know, I write hundreds of articles and, and, uh, and I, I can never write on a plane, <laughs> even though I say I'm going to, I look at it. And then I, then I give up after about 15 minutes and I go to sleep because I realize I'm going to get up at five the next morning at my site. And I'm going to write in the hotel room because I can write in hotels, yeah. right? You know, are you, are you creative when there's music? Are you creative when you're running? Be an anthropologist for yourself too. A, a very important Look for incongruities. You know, what doesn't fit? You will never reclaim your own mind until you start questioning what people say. They always tell you this means this. I am notorious for going in my mind saying, well, what if the opposite was true? Look for incongruities. These people usually don't show up with these people. Why are they selling it like this? It's not about improvements. It's about things that don't fit. And if you do this regularly for years, you will start to recover your own thoughts. Consult the muses in your mind. So once you've cleaned up your mind, what are your muses? So I'm going to give you one, Max. I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you on one. Uh-oh. I think creative people always have a secret, and it's a secret that they guard. It's a secret place where things come from. You know what mine is? I grew up in the age of radio, and I, I love music, and I've listened to all kinds of music, and I've listened in my lifetime millions of songs 
when I'm working on something and I'm lost, I step back and inevitably there's a soundtrack in my head. Wow. There's a song playing, sometimes called secondary mind function, right? Mm-hmm. There's a song playing. And if I'm, if I'm having a good day, I listen to it because inevitably it gives me clues as to how to solve this problem, mm-hmm. right? And it's always that moment. Some people might call it intuition, but your intuition happens in different ways. What's your muse? How do you, what's the secret thing that you don't like to admit to people that when it happens, you all of a sudden you get the idea? Yeah, so great question. And, and I actually like that a lot because as I think of, I, I like to create intellectual property. I've created a lot of intellectual property as well. And you know, I'm an author and travel two million miles and all the things you're describing. I learned how to drive a truck in the potato fields at 14 years old. So a farmer told me at 14, go out and learn how to drive that truck. I'll meet you back at the cellar. And I was miles out in the desert of a potato field. And I had to figure out how to get that truck back to the cellar at 14. I was petrified. (laughs) You know, you had to learn fast. So coming back to the muse, for me, being outside, being outside is my place where I, I draw inspiration. But when I'm conflicted or I realize that I'm at a point where I'm confused or that I've been thinking on something for a long time, I actually call it out. I recognize that I'm in, a, I'm in a place where I'm a little bit conflicted, but that doesn't mean that I'm on the wrong path. It just means that breakthrough is ahead. And so even if I'm in a group of creative group and we're creating new intellectual property or new breakthroughs, I often will recognize that with the group. I'll call it out. I'll say, listen, we're confused right now. We've, we've kind of hit a, 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 a block, but that's because we're close. So we just got to keep going. So because some people, I think, get depressed by that. They get depressed by the block and they think, well, we're on the wrong path. We should just quit. And, and for me, I don't think that's true. I get kind of excited when I can recognize that piece. But I don't know what you think about that. I think it's great. I think you're like a navigator. A navigator yeah. says, look at where, you know, we're at not such and such and we're here. You know, this is what the situation is. You're, nav- you're navigating. Yeah. So in a sense, you're, call- you're calling the muse. This is where we're at in this whole thing. Or... And I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be new agey here. I'm yeah. saying your own mind will give you clues. The other thing that you're saying is when you go to nature, I mean, this is the God of Emerson, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, very much part of American culture, right? It's John Muir. You know, I, you know, I think that's a, you know, I grew up in the, I, you know, I grew up around 90% of all the fresh water in the United States, right? There's water everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So the notion of, you know, walking around the lake or walking to, I live on a river, you know, mm-hmm. the whole idea of, uh, I think that's wonderful. And that's what I'm trying to get when, when I say to people, listen to that. Mm-hmm. So when you get stuck, don't just try and grind through it. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So you're popping up like a navigator. Mm-hmm. The second thing I was going to say is, you know, there are these six, there are these six skills and the, the, there, I, I would say, let me take you through what they are very quickly. Yeah. They're, we use the mnemonic device create. So clarify, replicate, elaborate, associate, translate, evaluate. And the only re- reason that clarify is not, uh, is not um, concentrate is the publisher didn't like that. <laughs> so <laughs> we turned it into clarify. So the biggest problem people have right off the bat is understanding what the problem is. Yeah. And I teach a 14-week class, uh, capstone class, to uh, very talented young people. And seven weeks of the class, I work on you don't know what the problem is. And they get really mad. This is a creativity course. Why am I working on the problem? Yeah. Well, I trained consultants at the most famous consulting firm in the world for years in New York. And the problem with really smart people is they think they know. And yeah. they think that other people are dumb, right? <clears throat> and they're not. And, and they're not 
they get it wrong. And so going back to what you're talking about, like the issue about what's going to happen with schools, where I said there's something deeper than money and technology. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm talking about. What is it? Somebody needs to go work deeply at that and find it. It may be two or three things, but the hardest part is finding the center of the problem. And every big organization that I've ever worked in, whenever I hear we're all on the same page, we know what's wrong, with the possible exception of Reuters, which was going bankrupt. Mm. I didn't, I've never been, and remember 258 of the Fortune 500, I've never been one that that was true. Mm. In every case, they did not know what the problem was. And, and there was something deeper. That's so compelling. I mean, we could do a whole podcast just about that, just about identifying the problem, because how many of the problems that are we dealing with right now that we think we're solving for the problem or Facebook posts are talking about solving the problem? And that's not the problem at all. And we're not talking about the real problem. Agreed. And so what I'm trying to do is, again, you can see I'm trying to get people to reclaim their own thoughts. I'm trying to increase agency. Mm-hmm. And this is, an, this is I, I, I don't know who your listeners are, and this might be a, a, the wrong comment. I just think it's un-American not to be an independent thinker. You know, well, that, I, that's, I, I have to say right there, we're trending in Portugal. I'm just going to put that out there, but, yeah, but hey, but, you can go ahead and say American. Yeah, that's all yeah, right. <laughs> I, but I just, I just think the notion is the way I grew up. Yeah, you're supposed, you're supposed to figure out what you think. That was that wasn't that 101. Yeah, you know. So one, yeah. reclaiming it, and then two, looking at the problem and not falling into the trap of you know what's wrong with young people. You know what's wrong with the older people. Yeah, no. yeah. No, you don't. No, yeah. you don't know, and I don't know. Yeah. Let's talk about something specific and figure it out. Second, second. So that's the C. The second, and there's a way, there's a bunch of stuff in the book. The biggest thing is using Robert McKnight's three, the three M, the famous three M questions. You know, is it real? Can we win? Is it worth doing? Yeah. You know, these are old questions, but I mean, just ask those three questions. Is it real? Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> can we win? Is it worth doing? Um, next step, replicate. You know, replicate is Bucky Fuller. It's Buckminster Fuller. It's that spore as you walk into Epcot that you call a geodesic dome. It's the, you know, it's the rudder on a nuclear submarine that looks like a whale fluke because it was designed through biomimicry. You know, it's the, it's the wings of an F-22 that don't look like a peregrine falcon, looks like a manta ray because Steve Justice, you know, is thinking about manta rays when he's putting this thing together, right? This amazing flying machine that changes everything. So the second piece is search and reapply. Go someplace, look at how it happens, bring it back to where you're at. And the way I like to say this to young people is get some new friends. Go talk to some new people, right, uh, that you haven't talked to before and see what they're doing. The E is elaborate, which we think of as brainstorming. And of course, there's scampering and random words and thinking hats. But the big thing about all this is your brain makes synaptic connections and assimilates or accommodates information. And what you're trying to do, your brain, is you're trying to fool it by, uh, there's, um, there's a term for this, that artist called defamiliarization. You're trying to bring stimulus to your brain that it normally wouldn't have. Now, the reason this is the, probably the easiest thing to do for people, is your brain naturally does this. This is how part of your thinking process. This is where creativity and thinking cross. Mm-hmm. Your brain is naturally going to store and categorize things. Mm-hmm. That's that front part of your brain, the neocortex. You know, that's the creative part. And then it goes to the, the larger parts in the back, the lobes, and it starts to organize it, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? 
associate my favorite. You know, you can tell a rookie creative person from somebody who's a little more practiced by a rookie will have 20 ideas. A more practiced person will have an integrated solution. Mm. And what metaphors and analogies do for us <clears throat> is they allow ideas to be integral and they also allow us to turn them around. So I have a good story about this. Mm. Um, I worked on a, a, the, probably the most famous eco project ever, Eco Imagination, right? It was one of the original guys, $15 billion, General Electric. And what was interesting to me was the first, when we got to the end of the first part of this, and it, the whole thing, someday I should write about it, but it was at the end of the first part of this, I said, we need a metaphor to hold these ideas together. And you know what they picked? They picked NASCAR. Now, I'm, I'm not a NASCAR guy. I've been to one NASCAR race, and that was enough for me. I'm, huge, I'm a huge sports fan, but that didn't work for me. And so, you know, who's the car, and what are the tires, and what's the racetrack? And you're basically integrating ideas. And what, what I then asked was, okay, you know, who is the pit crew chief? And, oh, by the way, uh, what are, you know, what is the process of changing tires? And so you then turn the metaphor around and then you add creative ideas into the gap, what's called developing in the gaps, right? So that's in this book, that's a skill. And then the, the next skill is translate. It's a very hard skill. Mm -hmm. Developing a compelling narrative is like running a game show. Mm -hmm. You know, there's folk, color, and plot, and character development. And if you've ever heard a four-year-old try and tell a story, your great aunt Judy try and tell a joke, you get how hard it is to put a story together. And as much as emphasis there is now on storytelling, there's still not enough emphasis. You know, I had years ago, Robert McKee come and talk to my MBAs, who's quite colorful. You know, the guy who wrote Story, the famous UCLA film professor, old Michigan graduate, right? Um, and, you know, it was just, it was, I thought in, in an hour, that was a lifetime of education about how to tell a good tale. And then of course, in the end, you evaluate. Of course, the problem with evaluation, the E in create, is that people either try and boil the ocean and extract gold, or they try and turn the dial one click. <laughs> and what you need to do is you need to find something that's in between there. So I've been part of a lot of projects where people have picked a, 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 a project that was clearly beyond their Latin. They were unable to do it. They weren't big enough, strong enough. And I've been in a lot of big companies where they left the billion dollar idea on the wall. And two years later, one of their adversaries did it. Mm -hmm. So these are skills. They happen in very different parts of your brain. They're not interchangeable. They're not steps. They're skills, mm -hmm. right? So being able to put a, a story together, mm -hmm. you know, in a complicated way is one type of a, of a skill. And it happens in one part of your brain. Copying nature is a completely different type of skill. Mm -hmm. So my recommendation for people when they start is have a creative mindset and pick one or two skills and try it. Start working on a real project. See one, do one, teach one. When you start out, don't go big. The guys who say go big or go home, oh, I love those guys because they're arrogant and they all go home first, right? Market turns, I'll go home. You should go home. Yeah. What I like instead are the people who go small but radical. Small but wide is what I call it. Never bet on one horse to win, bet on a stable to show. That's how you win at this game. 116 creativity clusters started with COVID, right? Then it went to 96. 14 made it into the final, you know, final draw. Now we're down to six. We're going to have three radically different solutions to this thing at the end of this, right? 
The Chinese are hacking computers like crazy because they're looking for them because that's a more monological culture than our culture is and the culture in the West, right? Now, I'm not, that's not a disparaging comment. That's simply that's sort of his, historically how this works. And so the issue becomes, um, you know, our yield rate, if our yield rate is three out of 116 and we solve this in 14 months, we are, we are, we are cooking on gas. We are, you know, we're doing everything the right way. If you tried one and you bet it all on one, you know, you say your prayers because if it comes in, you're either, you know, you, well, you're lucky and your luck doesn't last forever. You know, you bring up so many interesting points here, Jeff, that I, I, I would love to talk about. I mean, I'm thinking about the documentary General Magic, a Silicon Valley leadership team that you might know a lot more about than I do. I just watched the documentary and went, oh, my word, here's this, this group that was before their time knowing that they could create this incredible value if they were just creative enough. And they got all these creative geniuses together and they created a bunch of this really cool, what was supposed to be, we, we, what is the precursor to the smartphone, right? But they missed it. They missed the mark. And, and, and it, 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 I would love to hear your take on that because all of these guys, when they kind of disbanded this company, I mean, there was a lot of money in it, lots of things going on, Silicon Valley, best talent in the world, but they all went on to become the founders of some of the biggest names we know today. But we, so don't, but we don't know General Magic. So did Sears. Yeah. I mean, this is the part that people get wrong. CompuServe, beginning of uh, email. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Cald Caldwell Banker, beginning commercial real estate for residential. Dean Witter, beginning of 401k. Go down the list. Yeah. Discover Card, Allstate, a prodigy before eBay, right? So, and General Magic, I do know quite a bit about because I'm an advisor uh, to, to Apple at the, at the time when General Magic spun out. Gen the story of General Magic is a story that I think people overlook in one crucial way. And that is, it's very easy to get stuck in the design thinking phase of creativity. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens. You know, it's very easy to say we solved, you know, we got a vaccine for COVID, but then you got to make 14 billion, uh, 14 billion doses of this. And what I would need people to understand is at the top of the funnel of creativity, it should be wide and diverse. Mm -hmm. At the end of the funnel, where it's actually an innovation, you're helping people, it should be focused and optimized so that you can have scope and scale. This was our comment about earlier about generations. That's right. Right? So to me, the problem with General Magic is they got stuck at the top of the, you know, they got stuck at the top of the funnel. They, you know, we get feature creep and that's not ready yet. And it's not perfect yet. And what if we added a feature to it? Well, at some point you got to ship it, <laughs> you know? So, and, and then what happened is when they got to the point where they're going to ship it, they got into freeze phases like they do in the automobile industry. Now we're getting into a deeper conversation about innovation, but in the freeze phase, they didn't understand that they, people were going from intranets. I worked on a famous one. I worked on AppleNet, which you know is iTunes, right? I worked on it in the early stages, right? Very early, you know, but it, you have to make the transition from intranet to internet when that was happening. And incidentally, Apple didn't. It took Steve Jobs coming back Right. And this was not a new idea. This was an idea we had probably in 87. Mm -hmm. Right. And he comes back like a decade later. So the notion is general magic got stuck. This is the this is my caution about design thinking. Mm -hmm. Right. Design thinking is a, a forward position thing. It's great. I'm not making fun of it. It's important. Human centered design. Terrific. It does not apply well to aft position manufacturing. I teach a course on supply chain and manufacturing innovation. When you get to the aft position, you got to make a million of them. That kind of variation, even with the kind of AI technologies we've got, are not going to work because those types of variations are, are being run by machine logic and in a very different heuristic. 
a very different recipe. So yes, there are things that look design thinking, but they're happening in a completely different way. Well, and, and to that point, I think that it, it's that execution at scale is a different expertise often as well. I think that's why Rivian and GM are a really good match. Right. You grab all this creativity and innovation with Rivian and what they're doing with their hybrid technology and electric technology, and you have the execution of GM to be able to produce. It's a cool, it's a cool combination. Imagine if GM in 1993, when they introduced the, v, the VTEC, the V1 engine, the first hybrid, you know, forget the electric engines now. People forget the patent elapsed. They, they patented in 72 during the oil embargo. This is what readers off, or leasers don't often get, right? The patent elapsed. Imagine in 93, if they would have actually gone to full production instead of hiding the 3,000 cars in the desert of uh, California. Mm. Imagine. Mm. Now, all of a sudden, you got scope and scale, right? And look at what look at Toyota's playbook. Mm-hmm. Look at what Toyota's doing with their hybrid engine, which was developed by Mercedes in mm-hmm. Germany, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> um, of course, Toyota will take issue with it, but look at where the patents are and look at when they came out, mm-hmm. right? Look mm-hmm. at who got there, right? So the notion is um, it's not enough to invent it. <laughs> Jeff, I am so happy to just have a good conversation with you. I mean, there's so many other things I would love to talk to you about, but we need to respect your time, certainly respect our listeners' time. Today, we're speaking you know, to, to Dr. Jeff DeGraff, the author of The Creative Mindset, uh, University of Michigan uh, pro- professor at the Ross School of Business. Um, I've just really enjoyed this conversation. What would you like folks to remember uh, out of this very, very diverse conversation, I would say? <laughs> what would you think that they should remember? If they, if they were to remember anything at all, what would you say maybe as a last piece of advice, remember this? See one, do one, teach one. Apprentice yourself to people who are great creators And if you're a great creator, apprentice someone else because it really does take a community to do things. Go to the jeffdegraff.com and all those resources are free. No one will ever bother you. This is my gift to you to democratize innovation. It's going to take more than one guy in the North at a university. I think it's up to all of us to democratize innovation, to take our thoughts back, take our world back and to make things in our world and our communities better and new. Jeff, thank you for being on this show. I really appreciate that you'd come out and join me today. Thank you, Max. Let's uh, let's do it again when we can talk about what's the problem you're trying to solve. What do you think? I'm on it. I would love it. I appreciate your time let's today. Let's do it. That's awesome. Thank you to all our listeners out there. Be safe, be wise. Have a good week.